Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guest strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And of course, if they are particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized, and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different with author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Good evening, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. We have a great show tonight. Uh, two excellent guests, one talking about something you should know something about already, and somebody else talking about something you may know nothing about. The first guest we're going to have is Seth Polanski, who is, uh, he described himself as the um, mascot of the World Series of Poker. He's their communications director. He's going to talk all about the 2010 World Series of Poker. It's coming. It's bigger and better than ever before. And uh, I, whenever I listen to him talk, I just want to book my arrangements right then and there to go out for the World Series. And then we have a special treat, especially for our women listeners. You know, a lot of the poker world seems dominated by men. The literature seems geared to men. We have a woman, Ellen Lakend, who started a company and wrote a book that's geared to women. Uh, poker Woman is the name of the book. Her name is Ellen Lakin. We're going to be talking with her. We look forward to having you listen. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Then we'll be back with Seth Polanski. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates, what is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret door path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. You're listening to the House of Cards. How lucky you are. With Ashley Adams. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. Who the hell do you think you are? Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And as promised... We are here with the communications guru for Harris and the World Series of Poker, Seth Polanski. Seth, are you there? 
I'm here, Ashley. I don't know about a guru, but I appreciate it. Well, I read Czar someplace. <laughs> I read Poobah. I figured I would come up with my own uh, title. How would you describe your, your role at Harris these days? Usually around here, I'm called the company mascot. So, <laughs> Is that an apt description of you, do you think? <laughs> I think so in some cases. I can't blame people. Okay, well, we're here. Uh, our, st- our show originates out of Boston, and it is today it was about 15 degrees. There's snow on the ground. And I think everybody, it's a poker player, is imagining how wonderful it would be to be in Las Vegas with uh, the hot sun, the uh, low humidity, and playing poker. And what a perfect opportunity it is for you to ignite their imagination and paint us a picture of this year's World Series of Poker. Tell us what's going to be happening, when it's going to be, what's going to be different, what's going to be the same, because uh, we got a lot of people eager to hear all about it. You got it, Ashley. Well, we open up this year May 27th, 2010. It's actually 130-plus days away, so it's not so far away anymore, and we look forward to having all the uh, the folks thaw out here in Vegas. Um, we're running another 50 consecutive days here. It'll take us to mid-July once again, we got 57 different bracelet events up for grabs, including several at the $1,000 buy-in. For those no-limit fans, there'll be plenty of action there every weekend from May 27th through the end of the series. And uh, we just got a very good schedule this year. Uh, we're moving into the giant pavilion ballroom, which is 60,000 square feet. Uh, it's hard to envision if you haven't been out here, but... Pretty much think of the largest uh, ballroom you've ever seen at a hotel or casino and, and picture it filled with uh, hundreds of poker tables. How so many really tables expect- can it fit? We anticipate this year having somewhere around 375 tables uh, in play. <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. 375, 3,750 players at one time. Yes, uh, so it, it's going to be terrific. Uh, everyone's going to feel, uh, you know, it's the Olympics of poker, and it's going to feel like you're you're part of this amazing thing. Just walking in the room will be, uh, you know, impressive enough for folks. And uh, we just we just feel this is the fifth year having it at the Rio. Now that uh, we're really operating all cylinders, we got the same team in place we've had for several years, and uh, we just feel it's been tweaking uh, things this year instead of any wholesale changes. So it should be a great experience for everyone. Great. Well, let's let's talk first about the main event, because um, I think that's the focus of the public at large's attention, even though those of us that play the game, I think, really are probably more interested in all the other events because they're the ones that we're going to actually buy into. But let's just start with the main event. Um, last year... There were some glitches when it came to some people, a low attendance on one day, and then it's selling out. What are you doing this year to avoid that from happening again? All right, here are the few things. Uh, we're going to combine fields A and C, and then B and D this year. And in English, that means uh, the main event has four starting days that we call A, B, C, D that play out over four days. Right. Typically, A and B are the lightest attended days, and C and D are the fullest. We, by combining A with C and B with D, meaning those that survive their day would come back uh, on day 2A and day 2B that way this year, which we think um, will alleviate part of the problem we really had with day 1D last year was that we were concerned adding any more people would mean we couldn't fit them back in on day 2. Right. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is we're not playing on July 4th this year. Uh, the main event starts July 5th, and the opening days are the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. So we think avoiding the holiday will help people uh, get out here and be willing to play any of those four days. Terrific. Uh, so what will be the total maximum number of entrants into this year's world? Not that you're going to reach the maximum, but when you combine the larger venue and you have the four days, what does that come to total that potentially you could have? I wish there was a number, but actually it'll change every day after A, B, and C are solidified. You understand? We have to essentially juggle them all. 
to make sure they work. So as you pointed out, if we have 375 tables in play and we put uh, and we go 10-handed, we can get 3,750 people started a day. Um, so you do the math over four days, that's 15,000 people. But, but if you, but, since you've got to have two days combined, you've got to worry about that as well. I understand. Correct, because based on the structure and how good it is, 75% of the people will survive day one, uh, which means then the number changes, obviously. And then if only 3,500 people register on day one, all of a sudden you don't want to exceed that on other days. So it's, it's, it's more complicated than it seems. But suffice to say, pre-registration is open. People can get uh, guarantee their seats now, and uh, we are in much better position, at least 25% more seats available than we had last year. Uh, to be able to accommodate folks. Good. Now, what are you using for pre-registration? There are a couple of services out there, and I know you have your own website. If people wanted to lock it up right now, their imagination was engaged, and they wanted to lock up a seat in the main event, what would they do? The best thing to do is go to WSOP.com, you know, WorldSeriesOfPoker.com for short. Yep. And uh, the registration, all the information, the structures of each event, the buy-ins for each event, and the pre-registration forms are all PDF downloadable documents on the website. You can even reserve your hotel room via the website, and, and rates are as low as $69 a night for poker players at the Rio right now. So it's pretty much one-stop shop at the uh, World Series of Poker, and then it depends whether you're wire transferring or cashier's check or whatever uh, to sort that out. And then often we get people who are just in town for Vegas, in Vegas, and you can even walk up to the Rio uh, uh, cashier today and buy yourself in that oh. way if you're in town. Okay, great. Um, I had a bunch of other questions. First of all, last year you had some larger than $10,000 event. What large events are you having this year? Large, when I say event, what large tournaments are you having larger than $10,000? We have two of those, and one is generating, well, both are generating a lot of buzz, but one is uh, new. Uh, we're going to do a $25,000 buy-in, six-handed, no-limit event, um, which uh, should be spectacular. Uh, obviously, six-handed is quite a different game, uh, and there are a lot of people who are very skilled in the shorthanded play uh, that will like this event, and uh, we've seen a lot of positive reaction to adding that event to the schedule. And, of course, the granddaddy of them all, the $50,000 buy-in Players Championship, which will be back on ESPN this year. And it's been tweaked from last year in that it used to be a five-game horse. It will be now an eight-game poker event featuring the eight uh, key disciplines of poker with uh, those fortunate enough to survive to the final table playing No Limit Hold'em. Uh, for the championship. What are the three extra games? I know the horse games. What are the three additional ones? What do you think? I'm not smart. Yeah, um, I figure you'd know. I mean, is it it's deuce to seven low yeah, ball? Yeah, deuce to, deuce to seven low ball, no limit, and um, another variation. Um, You're going to have Badoogie? Um, is it... Uh, I, I just was curious. Is it Omaha right. high only? Is it two O's in the, in the rotation? Pot right. limit Omaha? You don't know off the top of your head. All right. Go to WSOP.com to get the answer to that and many other questions you might have. Okay. Let me move on. Uh, last year you had a whole bunch of cash games going on during the tournament. Are you planning to repeat? Are there places for cash games as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, part of the expanded footprint is because uh, cash games, a lot of people like to play in that during their downtime or just that exclusively. Cash games, satellite we even going to have special uh, $500 uh, no-limit tournaments, not for bracelets. It'll be going on constantly, nightly, 7 p.m. and 11 p.m., $200 and $300 buy-in tournaments. So if you want to find any game of poker, you'll find it at the World Series of Poker, whatever your uh, bankroll is and, and whatever your game expertise is, you're, you're sure to find it. Well, I know that... Uh... Some of the cash games were sick during the. T- I mean, just unbelievably high stakes. I, you know, I'm not one that really likes watching other people play poker, but I couldn't tear myself away from. There was a 300, 600, um, 
Omaha game that was just fascinating to stand around and watch. Uh, it had nothing to do with the tournament action, but it was still fun, let alone the games to play. Um, a few other questions. What about the events that are often interwoven into the World Series of Poker but are not bracelet events or not even necessarily competitions? For example, the Hall of Fame induction. Are you doing that again at the same time? Well, uh, Hall of Fame, yes, will uh, occur again. We'll tie that in with the November finale, as we did this past year. Okay. You're going to do that November 9 thing again. There's going to be the final table in November? Correct. The main event final table will be delayed and uh, actually be played out on November 9 uh, uh-huh. of all dates. The uh, November 9 on November 9. How appropriate. Uh, what about the Poker Palooza, the, uh, the Gaming Life Expo, whatever it used to be called? Are you doing that again? We'll do some variation of that. Um, there, we feel there needs to be some tweaking there, but there are a lot of people who want to exhibit products related to the poker uh, category, and we'll be sure that uh, throughout the main event there'll be an opportunity for folks to be able to see all the latest and greatest poker gadgets, <laughs> books, etc. Uh, we'll also do the Annie Up for Africa celebrity charity event once again, and uh, that features some of the biggest A-list celebrities, include Boston's uh, Ben Affleck and his pal Matt Damon are often uh, found at this game, so we're looking forward to that as well. You don't have actual dates for those yet, do you? That will be July 2nd, uh, just uh, the weekend preceding the main event. Yes. Uh, which is typically uh, when we've always done it. Um, so that will be great. And uh, we will have a Dream Team Poker event oh. uh, tied into the World Series of Poker this year as well. Are you having a ladies only and are you having senior events this year or a senior event? Absolutely. Ladies event, seniors event, those are all part of the schedule this year. Typical $1,000 buy-in, no-limit hold'em uh, events exclusively for the ladies. And the seniors were generous, Ashley. 50 years and older qualifies you for a senior. I know. I'm now a senior. I can't get over that. But I'm I'm 52. And uh, actually, it's been 50. That's what I mean. Just it's nice that it's 50, but it's not a change. It was 50 last year and the years before. Um, Now, what about I remember when the Internet satellite produced thousands of players because they could actually be bought in through the Internet site if they won the satellite. And then that changed so that if you won a satellite on, you know, poker stars or whatever, you had to get cash and then buy yourself in. Do you know anything about how that's working this coming year? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be the same as it has been in the past because uh, Harrah's Entertainment, obviously, with all its land-based brick-and-mortar casinos, uh, has uh, licenses to protect and their interpretation of UIGA does not allow us to accept uh, buy-ins through that method as we did prior to 2006. So nice. it's the same sort of scenario. Anyone who wants to enter our event either has to bring, uh, you know, the equivalent te- amount of buy-in to the cage uh, directly. Right. But they can certainly buy in in advance, and they can do it. Uh, through your website, WSOP.com, and so they don't have to stand in. Are you doing anything to try to cut down on the long lines during the tournament? You know, we really haven't had long lines uh, the past several years, uh, except, you know, the half hour leading up to the event. Anyone who uh, is smart enough to come the night before to register for the event they want to get into or hours before, really haven't had an issue. You may remember, Ash, because the seniors event, seniors just like to hang out there for a couple. <laughs> they want to be in their seat two hours before the that's, event starts. That's right. That's very, very true. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, one last thing. I was just wondering if you have any promotions going with any other casinos. Maybe they're Harris Properties. Maybe they're properties in addition to Harris Properties where there are satellites going on so that people can win seats into the World Series of Poker. Yeah, it's a very good question. We do do uh, we do do arrangements with uh, several casinos where they can offer us seats into our event, and we actually the outreach is going on now. Those usually end up running more uh, in uh, March, April, May, as well as the Harris properties that we have do run satellites on a regular basis, and we have circuit events coming up: uh, Tunica, Mississippi. 
uh, starting next week, and then we uh, hit the trail to uh, Iowa, Atlantic City, San Diego, St. Louis uh, over the next several months where folks can uh, satellite into the WSOP as well. That's great. Well, I'll tell you, if there are any listeners whose appetite for going out to Las Vegas during the World Series has not been whetted by this conversation, then they need to examine their choice of games. Because whenever I hear you, Seth, talk about the World Series of Poker, I just get so excited about going out there and playing and seeing the the feverish stuff that goes on, the thousands of people, the uh, thousands of games, the opportunity for poker glory. It just... it. It literally makes me uh, all excited about poker, which I don't need to get more excited, but it does. It gets me more excited. I know we wish it started tomorrow. It is <laughs> like, you know, uh, Woodstock meeting, uh, you know, the Olympics. Uh, it's just a fun chance for everyone to get back together and have a great time and, and play a little poker, whatever level your game is. This isn't just for the pro. Uh, That's right. This, this is geared to uh, all all types. Well, thank you for coming on, Seth. And uh, as we get closer to the event, if you have any announcements to make or you want to just restoke the fires, you'll, you're welcome to come back on again. This is uh, Seth Polanski, the official mascot of the World Series of Poker we learned tonight. Uh, listeners, stay tuned. We're going to have a commercial break, and we'll be right back. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. All right, this is my show, and it's a serious intellectual hour of discussion, and I want to keep it that way. All right, in three, two, one. Magic hour. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. And as promised, we have a guest now who is geared mainly, though not exclusively, for our female poker players in the radio and Internet audience. Ellen Lakin, who is the author of Poker Woman, How to Win at Love, Life and Business Using the Principles of Poker, and also the CEO and founder of the company Poker Prima Divas. Dot com or Poker Prima Divas, I think, is the name of the company. Ellen, are you there? I am here. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Why don't you tell us first just a little bit about yourself, your background as a poker player, as an entrepreneur, and then about your company. And then when we're done with that, we're going to get to the book because I think there are lots of interesting nuggets of philosophy uh, and good advice that I'd like you to share with our listeners. But first, tell us about you and then about your company. Okay, that sounds good. I, I am a professional businesswoman. I spent about 15 years working in corporate America, and I finally got burnt out, and I decided to take a year off. 
And during that year, I played a lot, a lot of poker. And, and I hadn't played poker in about 10 years. It was something that I had learned as a kid, but I hadn't played in a very long time. And I spent a lot of time playing the game. And what I found when I went back to work is that a lot of the skills that I was picking up at the poker table, I was starting to equate to other areas of my life. Huh. And because of that... I, I started saying to myself, you know, there's some connection between poker and business and poker and relationships. And I also noticed that there were not a lot of women at these events. I would go to poker events and women seemed to be excluded, sort of like they had been excluded around golf. Like an old boys network. That's exactly right. Poker, exactly. It was an old boys network just like golf. And coming from a very male-dominated industry, I said, you know what? I've got to get women into this game. They have to be included. There's a lot of learning going on here. There's a lot of networking. There's a lot of fun. And that's how I founded Poker Prima Divas. And Poker Prima Divas actually was a corporate program which was used to get women into poker. Huh. Interesting. Now, are you based in the West Coast uh, where there are so many poker rooms, or are you somewhere else? No, um, I'm based out of New York, which is good because, as you know, on the East Coast, with the exception of Atlantic City, there's not a lot of poker rooms. In fact, in New York, there aren't, there aren't any. At not legal, any legal ones, ones. right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do that? How did you get people into poker if there's no uh, easily accessible venues for poker? Well, what we, we do not play for money. We play for fun and entertainment. So ours is more of an educational and entertainment program. Jesus, Alan, you don't play for money. You play like a girl. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. You'll regret that. I know. I'm just teasing you. But honestly, you didn't play at all for money? There were no prizes to any of the uh, contests that you had? Oh, no. There were prizes. There were absolutely. There were some very good prizes. But as you know, in New York, you can't play for money. So, yes, there were prizes. And I'm sure well, you know, if, people, if people went off on their own after they took a class from me and played for money, that was their business. But, but our events were centered around trophies, prizes, and um, that's, that's how you have to do it in New York. I see. So that was your company. You're speaking about your company in the past tense. Is it now not really thriving? Is oh, it no, not... it is thriving. Oh, it Actually, is thriving. Business this year has been extraordinarily good because, I, and, and, and it's, what's interesting, too, is what started out as, as only females taking our events. We also have some co-ed events as well. And it's very interesting to see the dynamic between men and women at the table. Very different dynamic. Well, I'm wondering, it just occurred to me, if poker could be an opportunity for people to meet people of the opposite sex, and it could be an opportunity for singles to actually get together. Have you thought of it in that way ever? Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, because <laughs> with, <laughs> with the, the ratio of men to women, as you know, in a poker room is probably 25 to 1. And I don't think women get those odds in very many other places. So we were joking today, you know, with Valentine's Day coming up, if you don't have a Valentine, you may want to get yourself over to a poker room. Well, the problem is, though, that the people, the men that you're going to meet are poker players. And we're not exactly the kind of folks that much of the time a lot of women want to be matched up with. I mean, I think that's probably true stereotypically. I know it shouldn't be true, really. But I don't know if you found that to be the case. Well, you know, I have to say, I don't think that the men in poker are any worse than the men you're going to meet in a bar. You know, the, 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 yeah, there's going to be good ones and there's going to be bad ones. So, yes, there are some in the poker room that you may not want to meet, but there's some, there's some good guys in the poker room. Fair enough. I was thinking that maybe what you could do is have special dating events where you have tournaments with prizes where maybe you have teams and people are just... Um, matched up for playing purposes, and there's some social element to the tournament so people get to talk, and it's not just call, raise, or fold. There's actually an opportunity to interact and get to know people at the table. Because it, what's funny is, you know, people go to a poker room thinking, oh, I'll meet other poker players, right. but all they ever talk about is the hand and raising and folding, and you don't generally get to know much about the people you're with. But and that's just an idea. Let's talk about your book, because I really enjoyed your book. Um, Thank you. Tell our listeners what Poker Woman really is, what you were s setting out to do when you wrote it, and what you think you accomplished when you were done. Well, Poker Woman was written to get women, to, for women to benefit from the techniques that you pick up at the poker table. And the important thing to know about Poker Woman, it is not a how-to book, as you know from reading it. So you can be a player or a non-player and still get something out of it. And it's really written for women so that they are, know that they are able to get what they want out of life on their own terms. I see. Now, our listeners should know that this is not just a book that you just wrote out of the blue without any uh, working with any serious poker players. You have an intro by Kathy Liebert, who, if I read the publisher correctly, yes. is also the publisher, right? Liebert 
printing or Liebert Publishing? No, Kathy Liebert is not the publisher. Kathy, Kathy Liebert is actually a very distant relative of somebody from the company. Uh, oh, so it's just, oh, I, I was thinking that Kathy Liebert had a poker book publishing company, but really no. it's just the same last name, but it's no real connection except distantly. Yes, distant, distant relation, but she did write the, um, the forward for us. Oh, how do you know her? I met her through somebody that a fellow poker player, and I actually I went up to Foxwoods to meet with her a few weeks ago, and ah. she's 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 a very interesting woman, and she's an excellent poker player, and she's strong and aggressive, and she's quite a poker woman. Well, let me ask you, how have you gotten to know major poker players? I mean, did they are they involved with your company at all? Did you just happen to meet them by chance? Did you write them a letter and ask for? An, I mean, how did you get to be in that world? Well, I'm, I, I am not really in the poker world. As I was saying before, I am a, a businesswoman. I am not a professional poker player. I have played in, in many poker tournaments, but the poker players that I have met, I've met through people or by chance or through playing in tournaments. But in terms of being within the poker community, that's not really the case. Okay. So how did you get a hold of Kathy Liebert then? Through, through this distant relative that they know. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> you played uh, Family Geography. Family Geography, like who knows? Who a do poker we know player? a poker well, player? Well, I think my far-off cousin is a poker player. I'll give her a call. Wait. And sure enough, she did. And she really liked the concept of the book. And we like the fact that she's the top women's, uh, you know, tournament player in the country. And she got it. And it was just, it was just a good match. Well, that's a great way to start out your book with a very well-respected and successful poker player. I want yeah. to get a little into the book. Um, the first thing that I was struck by was that you, you set it out very nicely in a whole bunch of different chapters that I think are geared towards um, identifying the connections between poker and the real world. Right. And the first thing that you do, or one of the first things that you do, is you set out the four types of poker players, right. and you have a quiz um, I'm yeah. just looking to see exactly how many questions. It's a 20-question quiz. Yeah. I'm not going to ask all 20 questions on the air, but just so that our listeners can have a taste for the book itself, I'm going to ask a number of these questions of you. Okay. And I want our listeners to play along because at the end there are some conclusions that we can draw by the answers that you tend to give. So I'm going to give a letter and people should keep track of which letters they seem to be answering most of these questions with. And these are geared towards women players, in fact, in some cases explicitly, but it doesn't have to only be women that are playing the quiz. Okay, the first one is, you ask, what your motto is? My motto is, A, act now, ask questions later, act now, ask questions later, B, get the facts and get ready to go, or C, wait and see, or D, Better safe than sorry. A is act now, ask questions later. B is get the facts and get ready to go. C is wait and see. And D is better safe than sorry. Where, where would you answer that? I'm a B on that. Get the facts and get ready to go. Yeah, so am I. I'm, I'm definitely a B. Um, I mean, there are times when I act first and ask questions later, but that's not my nature. Nor am I a wait and seer. I tend not to want to wait and see. I like to act after I've gotten the facts. And I certainly would not embrace the motto better safe than sorry. Uh, Doug, are you listening to this? No. Okay. Doug, <laughs> my producer, he's not answering. Okay. Doug's all right. not answering. But that's all right. So we got a B for you. Okay. Then the next question I wanted to ask is when you are in a group meeting, A, when you're in a group meeting, A, you speak more than anyone else in the room. B, you make a few very relevant points. C, you chime in and expand on what others have said. Or D, you keep quiet, but take good notes. Uh, so, A, you speak more than everyone else. B, you make a few very relevant points. C, you chime in and expand on what others have said. Or D, you keep quiet and take good notes. I would say for myself, and then I'd like to know your answer, I'd like to think that I make a few very relevant points, but the truth is I probably end up speaking more than anyone else in the room. Now, what would you answer? I would say 80% of the time I'm a B, but every so often if I'm very emotional about a topic, I will be an A. Okay. Well, that's good. Um the next one, I think I have eight of these for listeners that just want to know how long this is going to take. When you walk into a room, do you, A, introduce yourself to everyone you see? And by the way, these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, you could probably say, well, I'm kind of in between an A and a B. But here, A, you introduce yourself to everyone you see. B, you scope out the room for people who you want to meet. 
C, you talk to whomever talks to you first. D, you stand in the corner and have a drink or a few drinks. Um, (laughs) So six, when you walk into a room, you introduce yourself to everyone you see. You scope out the room for people you want to meet. Or C, you talk to whomever talks to you first. Or D, you stand in the corner and have a drink. What would you answer for that? Me? Yeah. Oh, scope out the room for people who you want to meet. Yes, me too. Absolutely. Me too. You too? Yes. I mean, there are times, and people might say I tend to introduce myself to everyone, but I definitely don't. I mean, I am selective in who I'm talking to, but I'm definitely not shy, and I would go, if I saw somebody there that looked interesting, I would go say hello to them and focus on them or somebody else or two or three people. I definitely wouldn't stand in the corner and have a drink. Unless it was a meeting of people that I just found awfully boring. And in that case, I would probably just leave. Um, okay, we got a couple more questions here. Which describes your reaction when your boyfriend partner breaks up with you? Okay, this I'm going to ask of you, Ellen. Uh, is your attitude, oh, well, there are plenty more where he came from. B, sad, but the next one will give me more of what I need. C, I must have done something to deserve it. Or D, I'm convinced I'll never meet anyone again. I would have to say on that one, I'm a B. Sad, but the next one will give me more of what I need. How is that different from A? Oh, well, there are plenty more where he came from. In A, you really don't care. It's on to the next. No emotion involved. I see. A is, a is more like a reckless poker player. And B, there's an emotion involved. You know, poker women are not, are not emotionless. They're, they, they just, they're focused. And I think B is more of a focused Okay. But emotional position. I'm going to ask one more question, and then I'd like to have your analysis of the different types of, of players and okay. also the different types of people. Um, the f- final question you have is, which of these compliments, well, actually, which of these compliments do you get, do you most likely get? I think the question is a little bit confusing the way it's worded, but which of these compliments are you most likely to get? A, she is not afraid of anything. B, She really knows how to take charge of a situation. C, she is a really good team player. Or D, she never ruffles anyone's feathers. Now, I'm going to guess, Ellen, that people normally say about you, she really knows how to take charge of a situation. What would you say? I would say the same. Yes, so you are definitely a B, and I think I probably fall into that category more than anything else. How would you describe the different types, the A's, the B's, the C's, and the D's? Okay, well, I think you can see by the answers, the A's are typically the aggressive, loose player. And, and that, that player tends to be a, be a bit of a loose cannon. You don't see a lot of women A's. You see a lot more male A's. You know, I think of Gus Hansen as an A. We call them maniacs. Maniacs. Sometimes. Okay, I was trying to be nice. But yeah. <laughs> that, that's what, what really the A's are, the aggressive, loose player. And, again, the difference between males and females there is, is very significant. I don't think there's a lot of A female players out there. Do you? No, I don't. Um, in fact, even female players who are slightly along the A-line become noticed because they're unusual. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. And then I would be, is, which where you and I came in, is really the more of an aggressive type player. Purposeful. We know what we want. We know what we're looking for. But we tell bees to make sure that they don't lose their emotional element in the rest of their lives can't be so focused and so strategic that there's, you know, they, they don't feel the joy and the other things that are emotional that come along with it. Right. That's very good. I think that's important. And I think that without saying that one is better than the other, if you were to underscore the one that you think probably is the best way to be as an actor in the world, it would be the B. Yeah, I think I think a B, we, you know, we also refer to in the book as a missile. A, a B is like a Susie Orman or a Madonna or... Somebody like that, Mary J. Blige, that really is focused, knows what they want, gets what they want, but, but still has an emotional element to them. Okay, fair enough. What's a C? And then C is really a calling station. Those are, those are really the passive, loose players who just, you know, are along for the ride. They may like the action, but they're never taking the lead. They're never the aggressive better. And those people typically only wind up mediocre. They never, they don't have a lot to lose, but they, their upside is, is, is big. Okay, and how is that different from a D, and what is a D? A D is really, for lack of a better word, Ashley, is a wallflower. A D is a person who doesn't, who just sits on the sideline and watches. We call that weak tight. <laughs> weak tight, exactly. Weak a weak tight. tight. That person is going to be very easy to bully at a table, very easy to bluff, 
and is never going to win a big tournament and is never going to really win big in life either. And do you think that you are accurately depicted as somebody who is an aggressive type player at the poker table and in life? Well, I, I definitely think so in life, and it took, me, it took me time, but I'm getting that way at the table. When I first started playing poker, I was more of a C. And as I've spent over the years, the last five years where I've really intensified my play, I've moved over closer to the B. Well, I find, interestingly enough, and uh, we could have a discussion about this some other time, but that people's playing styles do not always mimic their role in life. For example... I mean, I think that inexperience and lack of knowledge contributes more to a loose, passive calling station nature at the poker table than being that way in life. I've known many business executives, successful attorneys, uh, doctors who in life are very aggressive and selective and willful and uh, your B-type player. But at the poker table, because they aren't very confident in that arena, they tend to be very passive and just there for the ride. I don't know if you've seen that when you've played. I have seen that. And you know where you see that a lot? You see that a lot with women who have never played before. A lot of our, in a lot of our classes, you see people are calling, calling, calling. There's really no aggressive betting. So I agree with that to a point. But once they do get some experience, I think that they, they then move into, into the other categories. But I do agree. Inexperience does play a role in whether or not you're a C in poker versus a B in life. But I think over time, the, the, the two shall meet. Yep. I, I think that's good. I think that uh, there are a lot of connections. You, we can't go too far with this stuff. And I, you know, I write articles all the time. And it's tempting. Every experience in life can be a uh, poker metaphor or vice versa. We have to be careful about not extending the metaphor too far. But I think these right. are very good, accurate categories that can help people with some of the introspective qualities we need in our life to become better at whatever we do. And I, I appreciate the point that you made. I want to look at a couple of the other chapters. And again, I really like the way the book is laid out. Nice bite-sized pieces, something you can sit and while you're having a cup of coffee, you can read and get the message. And then you don't have to sit there with the book and just read it all the way through. Yeah, and you know, we're hearing that from a lot of people. That's one of the things they like best. They can read the book in two hours. It's, it's easy to apply, and the stories make everything easy to get. And you can go back and reread it, and every time you reread it, you get something new. Right. Well, here's, I want you to tell our listeners what you mean by betting like a girl, which is a chapter in here. You refer to it, and you say, stop betting like a girl. What is betting like a girl, and how do women, or men for that matter, stop betting like a girl both at the poker table and in the world? I am so glad you asked that question because that's one of the key points I wanted to bring out. Stop betting like a girl is all about women playing to avoid losing as opposed to winning. And there's a very significant difference between playing to win and playing to avoid losing. And when we do an event, it's illustrated by the fact that even when we're down to the last five minutes and we're only, there's only a prize for, say, the, the top three in a game of 50, the women will hang on to that last chip just to be sure that they haven't lost everything. They're not going for the gusto. They're saving what they have. Very interesting. And that is something you really don't see when we do a co-ed event. You don't see that as much with the men. So as a poker woman, we are encouraging women to be, for lack of a better word, the aggressor, the better, and to, to get as, win as much as they can, not just only protect what they have. Very and that's good. what I mean by stop betting like a girl. Okay. You have another chapter call, uh, that refers to the Goldilocks principle. Right. What, I did not know that phrase. I didn't even really remember Goldilocks and how it was different from Snow White or any of the <laughs> other uh, the fairy tales. What is the Goldilocks principle, and what does it have to do with poker and uh, women in the world? Okay, do you remember in the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Oh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yes, yes. Okay. yes. Well, she, she, you know, the, the, the different bears had too different... Too hot, too cold, too right. big, too, yeah. Exactly. Well, the, the, the Goldilocks principle really is about finding the right game for you. And the right game for you means whether it be the right career, the right person, the right lifestyle. And, you know, some people are tournament players. They have the endurance. They have the capacity to sit there and play for hours. Some people are cash game players. They want to get in. They want to get out. Some people can play, have the stomach to play a high-stakes game. Others cannot play in a no-limit game. So you need to find your game. You need to find the people you want to be with. 
You need to find the job that you want. And a lot of people sort of force themselves into something they think that they're predisposed to do. And that's what we mean by finding your game, being in the right place. There's a story in the book about a woman who was raised to be a dentist, your whole family of dentists, and she really wanted to be a veterinarian, and she knew very, very quickly after practicing dentistry, this wasn't for her. So we encourage people to play with the right people and in the right careers. That's very good, because I know that people can be uh, tempted to try to change themselves to fit into a role that they think they are expected to play. And this is especially true of women, historically had been true. Of course, with the 60s and the liberation movement, it was supposed to have changed. But even to this day, women may be thinking they're supposed to be professional and they're supposed to be social and they're supposed to be doing all these. Well, what they really want is something very different from the expectations. What you're doing is you're giving women permission to figure out what it is they really like. Maybe they're a very social person. Maybe they're not. Maybe what they really want to do is be with books all day long and out of the public eye. And what they should do is be a librarian or work at a bookstore, not to be afraid to embrace that and then do that really well. That's exactly right. I think people and people are afraid of that. I was afraid of that. I was I was bred to be a corporate person and I did that forever before I became an entrepreneur because that was expected of me. So I think that people have to not be afraid to to look outside. Right. Well, I have one last thing. We're about two minutes before we're going to have to end this interview. And frankly, it's gone very quickly. And I hope you come back when you have another book out or when you have another venture that's involved with uh, Poker Prima Divas. But here's my last question. And there may be some... Oh, I want... Oh, yes, my producer is trying to... Uh, gently let me know that we should give out your website. What a good idea. Your website is primadivas.com. PokerDivas.com. Poker, I'm sorry, PokerDivas. We're going to put it on our website. PokerDivas.com. Here's and my the bo- yes. and, and Poker Woman is available at Amazon.com. Terrific. Is it also in bookstores near you? Um, it will be, but right now it, it is not. But it is in the um, Excalibur Casino and the Venetian Casino and the Borgata Casino Oh, as well. cool. Kathy Raymond's uh, Venetian Poker Room. Have you met her? She runs no, the poker room out not. there. No, I have not. Great poker room manager, a great room, and you and she should get together to talk about doing a promotion for your book in their lovely poker room. But before we end, I wanted to ask you something. You talk about bluffing and relationships and i want to know if you really think that any serious relationship i mean life merging type of relationship should involve bluffing at all and how you mean that chapter on bluffing and relationships bluffing and relationships um that's 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 a, a, a dicey area, and I think bluffing is a dicey area, and I talk in the front of the book, is, you, you, you know, is bluffing lying? And you have to sort of do what you're comfortable with. But when we, when we talk about bluffing in a relationship, there are times, for example, if you're with somebody who's on the fence, who doesn't want to make a move, doesn't want to commit, that you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that either you're going to have to bluff to get them to make a move, or you're going to have to end the relationship, or you're going to have to, worse, worse than anything else, is that it's going to drag on and on and on and on and go nowhere. So when I say bluffing in a relationship, I'm not saying that you should be lying to your partner, but sometimes, you know, you have to sort of bend the truth a little bit. Very interesting, because that's what we as poker players do. I hope my wife hasn't done that with me in our relationship. (laughs) I know that I don't bluff with her at all. We're very straight with each other. But that, to me, is a conversation for another day. And frankly... We could talk, I could talk with you, Ellen, for hours because I think there's a lot of ore here to mine. A great book, a great concept, and I appreciate you coming on as a guest. Well, thank you so much for having me, Ashley. It was fantastic to talk to you. Great. I hope we can chat again. Okay, me too. Take care. That's Ellen Lakin, author of Poker Woman. We're going to take a commercial break, and we'll be back with Mailbag. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. 
No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. Here's the wonderful Joan Rivers with her thoughts on poker players. And your people, you give money with blood on it. I met your people in Vegas for 40 years. None of them have last names. None of them. They have cash pulls. You're a poker player. A poker player. That's, That's awesome. beyond white trash. Poker players oh, are the most players. awesome people poker in the world. Poker players are trash, darling. Trash. House of Cards, proudly serving your white trash needs since 2007. Welcome back, listeners. This is House of Cards, the House of Cards mailbag. I'm joined by Dave Weishattle, and he's got some questions for me, I understand. I do, and uh, Blaine in western Pennsylvania. I Blaine guess is, yeah, in western Blaine. Pennsylvania. Yep. Apparently he's going to pick a fight. Can you explain the reason why stud is a better and more challenging game than hold'em? <laughs> well, that's what I would call a loaded question. <laughs> um, it happens that my opinion is that that stud is more skillful because it requires an extra skill set that Hold'em doesn't require. Now, of course, at the highest levels, you've got to be incredibly skilled to be an expert at anything and certainly in any poker game. But in stud, you have to have something that you don't have to have in Hold'em, and that's card memory. You've got to be able to remember the folded cards, especially those cards that are relevant to your hand and the hand that your opponent may have. Uh, in Hold'em, you see all of the cards that are ever exposed. You see them for the duration of the hand, so you don't have to remember. You have to remember other things. You have to remember who initiated the bet or the raise. You have to remember player type. You have to remember what the guy's been doing for the last few hands, what si- situations may make him steam, but those are things you also have to remember in stud. So in my view, since there's an extra skill set in Hold'em, in stud rather, that you don't have to have in Hold'em, that makes it intrinsically a more skillful game. Now, as far as why it's more interesting, was that one of the parts of his question? Yeah, more challenging. Well, I think anything that is inherently more skillful is more challenging because it's something else that you have to master. Also, since it's more skillful, it allows for the skillful player to be all that much better than the unskillful player. Uh, And while the difference between an expert at Hold'em and an amateur at Hold'em or a bad player at Hold'em is huge, the difference between a very good stud player and an incompetent stud player is also huge. And I would say the, the difference between the typical newbie in a stud game and an experienced stud player is greater than the typical experienced Hold'em player and a new player at Hold'em. How do you develop your memory skills for stud? Is there some kind of tricks or technique or... Um, How did you learn it? I mean, just practice? Well, it's practice, and also what I've done is I have streamlined what I try to remember. And when I'm teaching people the game, I mean, there are obviously people that are more skilled than I that can remember the suit and the rank of every card that is exposed and then folded in stud. The key, of course, to start out is to not pay any attention to the exposed cards that are not folded because they're staring you right in the face. You don't have to remember them. Uh, So just concentrate on the folded cards. But I found that I could remember all of the the rank of all of the folded cards, but not the rank coupled with the suit. So, for example, I can remember that an eight, a seven, a king, a jack, a three, and a deuce were folded. And I can recite that in my head. And then as the next round, if there are more cards folded, I can add it to it. It helps for me to put it in uh, numeric order. So it's, uh, you know, deuce three, six, seven, nine. 
instead of nine, instead of the order that it was folded in. So that helps to put it in order. And then I remember the suits separately. And I don't try to remember that it was the deuce of clubs, the three of diamonds, the six of spades, the seven of hearts, and the nine of clubs. Um, but I'll remember three hearts have been folded or four diamonds or four of my suit if I'm going for a flush. Or I'll remember a lot of clubs were folded. And I find that even though it's not as precise as remembering the deuce of clubs, the three of spades, etc., uh, that it is much, much better than not remembering any cards. Where are some of the best places for stud? Well, there aren't many, so that's an easy that, list. That's, uh, uh, the best place for I didn't st- think it'd be too long a list. The best place for stud is certainly Foxwoods, my home casino. Um, the second best place for stud is probably the Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, um, or possibly the Commerce, especially if you want higher limit games. But that's about it. There are some stud games, occasionally low limit, one to five, at Mohegan Sun. They rarely get a five ten game. Occasionally they'll have stud as part of a mixed game. Uh, you'll occasionally find stud, especially high-low stud, at the Bicycle Club or Hollywood Park. Uh, you might get a stud high game at Hollywood Park every so often. Um, there's a game at the, um, I forget what they call it, I think Caesars, Indiana, uh, down near uh, Louisville, Kentucky, that runs from Friday until Monday. Uh, thirty sixty game there. Uh, you might find a smattering of other games, low limit games, different places, but that's pretty much it. You know that memory skill set is that why people tend not to gravitate it toward uh, stud or no? I, I think it... a couple of things. I think first of all, the main reason that people are leaving stud is because Hold'em is just so immensely popular because of the televising of uh, the tournaments, and I also think that as money flows into Hold'em and has flowed for the last seven, eight years, poker players, good poker players, are going to follow the money. So they desert stud. And unfortunately, what you have left in stud are a lot of older players. I tend to be the youngest player or so at the table, and there are a lot of players in their 80s and 90s, and literally they are dying out. So what you want is a resurgence. Um, Our friend Blaine I think uh, points to this hoping to get a resurgence, wants me to talk up stud. I think it's a great game. I encourage lots of children to learn stud, and I've written about how to teach it. Um, but I think you've got to face reality, and unfortunately, those of us that love stud have just got to learn hold them and become good at it is, so we can appreciate is it, it. Is it a dying game, in your uh, opinion? I won't say that. I think that it's a game that's going through certainly a bad time, but you never know. I mean, maybe somebody will figure out a great way of making it entertaining on television or a video game or something like that. And uh, who knows? I have time for one more question, Jug? No, no? that's oh, it. Okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week. Good night and good luck. Listeners, this is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And of course, if they're particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC Radio. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. 
No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.